As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? High drive! Left field! It is out of here! This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 22 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. And uh, fellas, how are you guys doing today? Anyone can start, literally. I always start. Mark should start. Mark, how are you doing? I'm sleep deprived. How are you? Yeah, I am, but I can't, like, it, it, there's a sliding scale where if you have younger kids, you're more sleep deprived, so I'm not going to complain. You are, you take it, you take it, you're, you're the winner. It's horrible. <laughs> I have a cat. You know when my cat woke me up today? Take a guess when my cat woke me up today. Need, when? Yeah, when? What time? Cats love sleeping, so I'm going to guess like 9.30. No, Grant, that's incorrect. 3.42 a.m. <laughs> is when my cat woke me up. And here's how my cat wakes me up. He yells at me. He gets in my face and yells at me. And then when I hide under the covers, he hits me under the covers until I get up. He's relentless. I love your cat, man. Your cat is just... Yeah, you want him? I'll send him free. He is just a perfect uh, example of the genre of cat. He's just pure cat. <laughs> he's, like that he's is. He's been a cat his whole life, man. Yeah, he, he lives his gimmick. Uh, my my older dog woke me up at one thirty uh, this morning, and I went let her out. Went to the bathroom, came back, closed the door, went back to sleep, and I had these weird dreams of dogs barking and stuff and whining. And then I woke up about twenty minutes later because while I was going to the bathroom, the other dog snuck out. And then I locked her out of the house. And so that's my my story. I was just dreaming about my dog screaming for help. There's coyotes out here. There's coyotes out here. But she's fine. Everyone's fine. I think the, the parents of young children that might be listening to this, I'm sure, enjoy getting uh, 
nightmare pet stories comp to their kids not going to sleep <laughs> at night when they should. For parents, that is always the best conversation pivot, as it is right now. You ever locked your kid out of the house when, when they had to you know, go to the bathroom? been tempted tempted. (laughs) i used to tell my oldest all the time like if you don't stop it i'm taking you to the firehouse you know just dropping her off and now it's you know she's four and she gets me in trouble with it because she'll just be like daddy am i gonna go to the firehouse like not in front of other people don't say that Oh, man. Oh, man. She, you drive you drive by like a fire station and she's like, drive faster, dad. I don't want them to come get me. <laughs> well, it's too late now. She can talk and she can pick us out of a lineup. We have some podcast maintenance to get into. Last week, we talked about uh, which World Series article I wrote after blacking out. And Eric Steven, uh, my good friend, former workmate, uh, True Blue LA and SB Nation, he thinks he's found one uh, with the headline, the Houston Astros started from the bottom and now they're World Series champions. Wow, that's just a really evocative headline. Uh, no, Eric, I'm going to have to. This is not the one. This is uh, with all my faculties. It includes a gif of the Nationals kids screaming how bad the Astros are. I bet you there's some mixed metaphors. There's like a guy with a beard, a screenshot. But no, this is not it. This is just uh, bad prose. Only a sober person would make a reference to the aristocrats in Elite. <laughs> that was probably my third of the year, man. That's just one of my go-to clunk, like uh, Shawshank Redemption, clunk. You know, I'm like, a, <laughs> I, I'm indie indie brand Bill Simmons. You know, the aristocrats pretty damn funny bit, honestly. It is. It is it, pretty it damn funny. Threads that line between uh, you've got a mark. You know, you don't just have an audience; you have a mark. You have someone that you're stringing along. So. But listen, we've we've hemmed and hawed for long enough. Let's get into it. Everyone's talking about it. Y'all see what happened in Rhode Island versus Florida <laughs> the other day. Like, dude, come on. They were striking people out. They were striking people in. I'm going to be talking about this one for a while. It's the Little League World Series time. How fired up are you guys? <laughs> All right. Let's not spend too much time on this. I just want... I just want to go on the record. I have this forum. I'm forced to talk in it every week. I have some points. I have I have to give some thoughts. Man, they shouldn't put the Little League World Series on TV, man. It's weird. They're kids. Like, it's weird. Like, we're still doing this. It's weird. Like, covering it is weird. Like, writing it. Like, I don't know. I get it. There's heartwarming stories. It's cool for the kids. They should continue to play the Little League World Series. It's just strange turning on the TV and seeing it, man. That's all. My reaction to the Little League World Series for most of my life was disinterest. Just, I, you know, whatever. People can enjoy it. Uh, but then I became a softball coach. And now I'm literally coaching 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, or uh, 12. Uh, you know, I'm coaching the ages that they are in the Little League World Series. I don't want the kids I coach on TV where everyone can pick <laughs> on them. And they're talking like that. That doesn't work for them. It doesn't make sense. I would hate that. And so I get that these are kids who are maybe a little bit, they're the travel ball kids and they are uh, a little bit better and they, they have a little bit more of a focus on baseball, but also no, just, just no, just let them be kids, man. So I I'm with you. I think this is a, a pro labor podcast and an anti-LLWS podcast. Unless Mark is coming with the heat that he saw Rhode Island and has thoughts. Well, as someone who loves team control, talk about locking <laughs> some kids in early. All right? I mean, like, he, he, these are showcases, man. We, we got to get gotta get the scouts out there early. Try to get these guys signed to extensions before they get to middle school. <laughs> How are you going to be able to do that 
if you don't get them to play these games on television. So, look, man, um, I'm a big team control guy. You know, lock him <laughs> up early, I say. And, you know, why not begin at 11-12? And, like, you look at Rhode Island. <laughs> got, some, got some good team-friendly contracts potentially on that on that roster. So I'm just saying, you want to get ahead of the curve? You want to play some smart baseball? Got to lock him up early. I got something. I have a thought. And again, Grant Grant said it. We are a pro-labor podcast. We're the only pro-labor podcast. Obviously, we all were popping champagne about the union, the, the, the miners unionizing. Here's a thought. Pay the players <laughs> in the Little League World <laughs> Series. Pay them. I'm with you, Actually, man. Where does that money go? Like, there's money involved, right? It's got to be. I mean, there's average. Where does it go? It goes to the does networks. It... I don't know. But the, no, the networks pay. The th- who do they pay? Know. Is it like? Is it like? A... They're not paying the players. I'll tell you that much, Grant. Is it like Dale who runs it like out of his house? I mean, like George <laughs> Little League World Series. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's wild. I never thought about that, dude. Grant, you're so good with names. Like, cause Dale is the perfect person to be running the show. Dale, <laughs> of course, this is Dale. Go see Dale. Yeah, no, he's, he's you know he's good with the books. Like he's he's a solid. He's a straight shooter, real square G. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, I, at least pay them in like GameStop gift certificates or something, <laughs> right? Like GameStop should sponsor it. And if you're in the little league world series, you get GameStop certificate. How soon until there's NIL deals for little league world series kids? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How, how have, hasn't happened yet? Like, I mean, goodness. You get those kids who they'll start going viral on Twitter because they have a mullet and their quote is like, you know, I, I'm going to wrestle an octopus with my bare hands or something. And then you start seeing them. Those kids should at least get an NIL deal from GameStop. I'm sorry. How much money did Big Al leave on the table? The guy who hit dingers. Remember that kid? He was like, a, he was a bigger, he was a yeah. bigger young man. And he was like, mm-hmm. I'm Big Al and I hit dingers. And I hit, you know? he, that kid he did. rich. Yeah. That was wage theft. What happened to him? He should right? at least not pay That's for what college. People said happened to Wander Franco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You know, I was shocked that, like, listen, like, uh, you're right, man. That's wage theft for Big Al. But like, credit the Atlanta Braves for locking him up to a long term <laughs> deal. <laughs> oh, that is such good topical humor. I enjoy oh, that. Uh, Brian says we we should congratulate Hawaii uh, as the Little League World Series champs. No idea it was over. Because uh, again, why? Come on. Like, what? Who, it's weird. It's weird. They're kids. It's weird, man. I love watching college softball and college softball World Series time. Like, I just, I love it. College. That's the, yeah, high, high school feels weird to me. Like, the whole Friday Night Lights stuff, I get it. And I'm not going to, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a big Friday Night guy and you love your high school football, that's cool. That's cool. But to me, it makes me think of Days Confused and the old guy coming up to Randall Pink Floyd and saying, like, how many touchdowns we got in this arm? Like, that's kind of how I feel. College is where it becomes slightly unweird enough. Friend of the pod and former athletic staffer Pedro Mora uh, made a, a kind of an interesting point about college baseball in terms of the viewing experience, and that it, he he described it as kind of I, I never actually checked the, you know uh, followed up on this because it would involve like watching college baseball, which feels tough. But what he said is he was very it was very interesting in that it looks like a normal baseball game, but every time a player makes contact, because the fielders are not nearly as good as big league fielders, it's actually riveting in a way that Major League Baseball isn't. And so, like, it's kind of like watching, like, a, a less efficient version of baseball, which makes sense, you know, because they're these are, like, 18, 19, 20-year-old people, not 12-year-olds. So, yeah, I don't know. That, that 
seems more reasonable, I guess. You know, over the offseason, we got a little bit bored and spent a lot of time making investments on college football and basketball games. And let me tell you, after watching a bunch of NBA and NFL, boy, you do realize that these are just kids out there playing, doing dumb things because they're kids, you know? Like they made a dumb mistake because they're kids. Like they don't have the same reps as the pros. They're not as big. They're not as good. Things happen, right? So, uh, and actually, I think that's kind of fun. You know, so that's okay for them to be on TV. All right, I'm, I'm good with that. It's extra chaos too when you add in the umpires. The umpires, the, the oh, refs boy. in college basketball, they're not as good. They're not as good. So just add sprinkle of chaos dust. So I, I can appreciate that. One way that sports media has improved uh, in recent years is like there would never be a situation like there was with like Chris Webber calling timeout where he was like criticized for like the rest of his life. Like now when that happens, everyone's like, well, yes, he was 19 years old. What did you think? You think he was going to make a good decision? You know, but like sort of even in the 90s, it was sort of like this guy, he just he melts under pressure. It's like, yeah, he, yeah, he got really agitated. He was 19 years old. I don't know. I started, this is my cynical side. It's like Dante DiVincenzo could do that now and like it wouldn't be a big deal. But if it wasn't, didn't look like Dante DiVincenzo, then. It also helps that I uh, don't follow college sports at all and I'm totally <laughs> unaware. This is just how my brain works. So I don't even know who Dante DiVincenzo is. I assume he's on the Warriors. <laughs> well, he's a Villanova Wildcat. And then he was a Milwaukee Buck. No, where's he? Is he not on? He's not on the Warriors now. Is he? I have no idea who he is. I just heard his name. Oh, my God. He is, isn't he? Oh, my God. There you go. He is. All the Dante heads are coming at us. Yeah, I, I, I knew. I knew. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, with the Warriors, if you're going to fit Kaminga into the rotation, here's how <laughs> you do it. No, <laughs> I had a point, and then uh, Dante DiVincenzo uh, ruined it. So what? what just, just move on to Albert. Move on to Albert. Let's do that. Man, I had a good point. It was funny. Was it was your diet. Oh, gosh. No, that's all right. No, we are going to talk about Albert Pujols uh, because it's funny and good and, like, fun and not in a cynical way. Uh, it's just sort of like this is a really cool story. Albert Pujols is 42 years old. He moves like his uniform is full starch, and he <laughs> is doing really, really well. He's back with the Cardinals, and he is hitting better than he ever did with the Angels, which is also funny. Let's Albert Pujols talk, chat, poo chat. Let's do it. At what point last year did people stop making fun of Albert Pujols and started remembering that he was like the best hitter of his generation? Because there was a good like five years where he was basically just a punchline. Dodgers probably did it. You know, Dodgers yeah, get him and then they're as like, always. oh, you know, okay, well, there must be something here. Let's look into what he can do right. <laughs> that sort of thing. Because now he's off the Angels where it's like, uh, you idiots. And now it's just, well, the Dodgers see something. There must be something there. And well, it's kind of true. <laughs> Yeah, that's dude. I think that's exactly it. You've got the double whammy because they get you get the Dodgers halo, right? Like as soon as you're associated with them, then oh, you can't do anything wrong. But then you've got the angel stink, right? Where like you can't get it off of you. And so I, I feel like you get rid of that stink. You go into the place where everything goes right. And then he's been aces ever since. And obviously, I kind of look at that and I just wonder. You know, how much of it is just straight up comfort level, place that he's been, place where he's loved, place that he knew really, really well. And also, I find this fascinating with like good players, like great players rather, is that like the things that made him great that don't age kind of come out. When I covered the Yankees, Billy Appler, who now runs the Mets, was Yankees top scouting guy, right? And he had this big thing about 
finding these role players, but they wouldn't just be role players. It'd be like Andrew Jones at the end of his career. It'd be Eric Chavez at the end of his career. And I remember like one day asking him about this, like, why is it that every time you know, the offseason comes around, you've, you've assembled like the 2008 All-Star team? Like, what's the deal? And he's like, because those skills don't go away. Like, it, it might be that they get older, they might evolve a bit. Obviously, their bodies aren't what they used to be. Maybe they can't be that guy for 162 games, but we need them to be that guy for 50. And it's like, ah, okay, you know, pedigree. You're betting on pedigree. And so I feel like we're seeing some of that here. And as Andy said it, right, we almost forgot after all that Angels debacle, he literally was the best hitter of the generation. And I think the word hitter here is intentional. Not not most productive, even though he probably was, right? Like best hitter. Like, I mean, he was just a skilled craftsman in the box. And body breaks down, can't run anymore, all this stuff. But those things that made you that craftsman still endure. And I think maybe we're seeing some of that come out right now. That was a great anecdote with, you know, with Billy Epler. And that sort of crystallized a, a, a sort of generic thought that I've had for a long time. And probably it started from just being around the Yankees when I first started covering baseball. But it's the idea that like the dead cat bounce, right? Elite dead cats bounce higher and further than most dead cats. Oh, so like, yeah. uh, and this is, you know, no offense to like Buster Posey, but like what he did last year is probably, you know, some of that. Like what Alex Rodriguez did in 2015 when he hadn't played in, you know, a year and then he hit like 30 bombs, you know, which you saw with Matt Carpenter, you know, these first couple months with the Yankees, right? And then you see it with Pools, who, by the way, Pools was not good for the Dodgers last year. I know like the Dodgers loved him and, you know, T.O. Albert and all that. He like stunk. He was a sub 100 OPS hitter as a first baseman. Like that's not good that's not playable he's been really good this year like really good and I know a lot of it is related to the fact that he's hit like 10 homers in the last like three weeks or whatever but he's got like an 880 OPS which like is very high for this offensive environment they're using him exclusively almost exclusively against lefties and now he's the sort of guy like you probably don't want to see come to the plate in a playoff game if you've got a lefty on the mound you know like he I don't know. He has a chance to get to 700 home runs, which seemed insane, you know, at the start of the season. I don't know. It's a, it's nice. You know, Albert Bulls was the best hitter I ever saw growing up. And so it's fun to see him be good again, I guess. He has an adjusted OPS of 151, which is <laughs> really good. It's better than the adjusted OPS that he had in his final year with the Cardinals. The season that he had that got him the, I don't know what it was, 12 years, $580 trillion contract from the Angels, he's hitting better than he did when he got that contract. That's remarkable. I think everything about it is is wholesome. It's it, with the Cardinals. If he were doing this with the Brewers, it would be cool and funny. And wow, look at what Pujols is doing. He's back home. And we all love a good prodigal son story. And this is an inner circle Hall of Famer coming back. I think what the Tigers messed up on is not trading uh, Miguel Cabrera away and then welcoming him back and getting all those good vibes. <laughs> yeah, they erred by doing the exact opposite of what the Cardinals did, actually. Uh, <laughs> okay, I have two questions for you. Do you think he gets to 700 this year before he retires? And two, if in a, in a fantasy land he didn't retire and kept going, how long would it take him to break Barry Bonds' record? All right, so first question. Get to 700 this year. He needs six. He has 15 on the year. He would need to hit six in uh, September. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that is asking a heck of a lot 
for him this year. Now, does that bring him back next year? I would be tempted. 700 freaking cool. And we'll get into this a little bit. But I'm going to say it would take him eternity to get to Barry Bonds. And, and honestly, here's why. Because you get to, let's say he gets to 700 this year. He needs 56 more, or he needs 62 more homers uh, for the rest of his career. If he has perfect health, and he's hitting 15. <laughs> I don't know. And then you have to like, oh, his hamstring blew out. Oh, this happened. Like he's going to be 43, 44, 45. I think maybe you could get to a place when he's like literally 60. And that's not snark. But just the injuries, the ineffectiveness, adding up over the years. I'm talking Julio Franco age before he would break it. Probably right. Probably right. He'd push in 50 years old, right? Like, I mean, he'd be 50 years old. But I'll tell you what, man. When the Braves lock him up to that long-term extension, <laughs> like, he, you know, he's going to have plenty of opportunities there, right? Like, I mean, National League has a DH. Um, that's, a, that's a hitter-friendly park. I bet you he's amenable to something like that, right? Like, just him and Dansby and, and Harris. Like, dude, it's going to be great. That's such a good bit. That's such a good bit. <laughs> I really need this to keep coming Dude, up. I love it because every time I throw that curveball, you guys are, like, both, like, knee-buckling right there. Like, you don't even see it coming. <laughs> I have a question, Mark, uh, since you keep bringing it up. Okay, outside of the Albies contract and the Acuna contract, do you feel any of those deals are particularly unfair to the player or tilted, like, too heavily towards the team? Like, the Albies deal, obviously, like, yeah. I think what the Braves are doing is smart because, like, there's a risk involved here, right? Okay, let's look at Michael Harris, the kind of player that Michael Harris is. He wasn't supposed to hit, he could always go get it in the field, like had some speed, young guy. But we know what that skill set looks like over time. What changed the calculation is that he came up here and started to hit. And so they're starting to see this upside. Dude, that's still some big time risk, in my opinion. So like, I think as a player, and this is probably some self-awareness on his part, like he's getting paid because he hit this year. But when you look at the profile, are you going to bet on that happening? Is that like a safe bet? No, I don't think it is. All right. And so in the early part of that, you can say, well, you'll recoup the value because he's so good defensively. Maybe that's true. But if he doesn't hit, which was what everybody thought was going to happen, then what do you got? So I think like this is one of those where on the player's side, you're like, okay, let's take away some of that uncertainty, get your payday. But I think the team also took a risk there, right? Because if, if, if the hitting side of it doesn't play up this way, or if it, if it slides too far down, then I think you've got potentially an issue there. I didn't think they were unfair. I, I guess that's what I'll say with the, with those contracts in particular. What did you think? I thought they were all perfectly fine. I mean, I think you know, like again, like the Acuna deal, the Albies deal, money was that's left on different. money was left on the table. Austin Riley getting what two hundred and twelve million? Yeah, yeah, sign me up. Like that's a lot of money. You know, that seems like that seems like a good deal. And you laid it out pretty well with Harris. I mean, right, like he's obviously a very, very good defender. Uh, but the profile with the bat is a bit uh, shaky. And, you know, yeah, you can do like the, you know, I know uh, Dan Zimborski did like the Zips projections and it seemed like he was leaving a good bit of money on the table. But that's like that. He's not a he is far from a sure thing to be good moving forward offensively. He, you know, has like a 26 percent whiff rate or whatever, um, you know, all this year, like, and that's before, you know, there's a theoretical, you know, book out on him. You know, you saw what happened offensively to players like Jackie Bradley Jr. over the years, an incredible fielder who has, you know, had some years where he's really effective as a hitter and has kind of become fairly close to unplayable in recent seasons. So, like, yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, the Matt Olson deal, it's like, hey, you want a hundred and whatever, you know, $68 million. Like anytime it's like that amount of money, even if you're giving up something in AAV, even if it's a little bit below market, like when it's like life changing money to that extent, when it's a nine figure contract, it's kind of tough for a player to turn it down. You have to have a lot of discipline and you also have to, you know, be willing to take on a lot of risk. And there's a lot of people might, you know, I think a lot of like, uh, you know, non-athletes who look at that as being like, how can you possibly turn down that money, right? And I think a lot of athletes look at it as like, yeah, actually, why do I, why do I ever have to worry about money ever again? Why don't I just be rich and then go enjoy playing baseball? I think back to uh, Madison Bumgarner. When the Giants signed him to an extension, it was before the 2012 uh, season, and they gave him a six-year, $35 million extension and he blew past that value. He ended up being so valuable for the Giants, and he was really, really, really underpaid. And everyone looked at that contract and got, gosh, the Giants, that's really unfair what he did for the organization and how much he was paid. But when he signed that contract before the season, he was thinking about in 2009 when his fastball just poof, disappeared. All of a sudden, he's thrown in the 80s, and he doesn't know what's going on. He's had that experience. He, in 2012, after signing the extension, he was so bad in the postseason season before the World Series that the Giants literally started Barry Zito in a must-win game <laughs> against the Cardinals because Bumgarner was so gassed they said, clear off the table, we gotta go with Zito and just hope the Cardinals don't hit him and that's what happened. So, it, yes, he was underpaid after that, but also... I understand why a guy like that, especially a pitcher, says, yeah, let's let's get the generational wealth now. And if I end up getting paid just under $100 million for my career, that's fine. But it worked out for him. And I get that he's not as rich as Austin Riley is now. Um, but it worked out. And I would have done the same thing if I were him. Look at Walker Bueller. I mean, Walker Bueller is, is for the past... However many seasons, you know, since I guess 2018 has been if you need to start a playoff game for your life, you know, who are you putting on the mound? Like he's in the top five, right? He's a guy you he's been very, very good for the Dodgers. And he was in this the last year of a two for eight million dollar contract. And he's got to has to undergo a second Tommy John surgery. You know, like there's a reason why guys take these deals because there's a huge risk, especially pitchers are a little different. I do think it's very interesting. The Atlanta Braves have not locked up any of their pitchers to these sort of long-term agreements. Um, but like, you know, with pitchers, like, yeah, man, like there's so much risk. I mean, I remember, I know talking to like Wade Davis over the years, he took kind of a team friendly extension with the Rays um, before he got traded to the Royals. And he took it because like, he was concerned about his shoulder, like his shoulder were giving him problems. And he's like, yeah, after that, I just never worried again. Like, I had this money, you know, and like he made it through his, I, I, I also, I talked to another player who I don't want to use his name because I don't think he would, uh, appreciate this, but he, he took a pair of team friendly contracts, uh, and that was kind of the bulk of his earnings in, in the majors. And uh, he made a good chunk of money, like close to a hundred million dollars. And I once asked him like, how, you know, how did you feel about like those decisions? And he was like, well, on the one hand, like I haven't worried about money since I was 22 years old. On the other hand, I left about $200 million on the table. So uh, there's that. And <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, it is what it is. I think what's interesting to me is when I look at those long-term extensions from players who are from the United States, I wonder how much of that is like, okay, you have to have an agent that's willing to do that, right? Like that you, you have a representation that will do that or encourage that rather. 
but also you've got to have the right organization. And so you know, I've been cracking jokes about the Braves. And like, I think we've been on a previous podcast. I know Andy and I talked about this, like, you know, again, to get cynical, they leveraged having these players and Ozzie Albies and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. coming from places where the money that they're offered in this context is just like mind blowing given where they're from like how they grew up and all these things like they almost they not almost they did they leveraged that right i think it looks a little bit different to me when it's players where you can't play that card as easily all right not to say that the money that austin riley and and harris and you know dansby swans i'm not saying that's not big time money i'm just saying the context is a little bit different right so that and i think if you're signing players you're getting those types of players to to sign these deals um yeah i think Part of that is just maybe a testament to the organization, right? And like I think the Braves have done a lot of things right. Clearly, you got a lot of people who want to stay there, right? I think that's kind of an interesting part of it too. Like, yeah, it's dude, it's always about the money. Okay, they got paid a ton of money to stay there, but I feel like like who you're siding with has something to do with this too. And obviously, the Braves are doing something to make it enticing for folks to stick around. I mean, they're winning a lot of ball games, obviously, but I think there's something maybe more to that, and, and I find that interesting. One thing that I find fascinating about the Braves uh, and how they're constructed is how many players on that team are from the American South, like from Georgia, from Florida, from SEC country. Like it's like they only scout like four states, and they're still, you know, they're still like they're they're like uh, you know they're they're, they're like you know, Ohio State football. It's like we don't go outside of Ohio and Pennsylvania to build our teams, basically. <laughs> like, it's ve- it's very funny. Like, how like where's this guy from? Oh, he's from, you know, Atlanta. It's like, where's this guy from? It's like, ah, oh, he's from Tallahassee. You know, oh, that guy went to Vanderbilt. Oh, okay, that, you know. Spencer Strider, he's from ACC country. So, like, we sort of trust him. Uh, you know, mm. I don't know. <laughs> we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a good segue into the point I was going to make because uh, another Georgia legend, Rome Georgia legend, uh, I believe, don't yell at me in, in an email, but uh, Jeff Francoeur, another Atlanta guy, Atlanta area guy that the Braves had. And if the Braves had signed him to one of these deals, it would not have worked out when he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated and the Braves lock him up for eight years, ten years. It would have been heralded and you would have said, how much money is Jeff Francoeur leaving on the table? And for that reason, I will never begrudge a player like like Harris when he comes up and you really don't know. He's got such a wide spectrum still of outcomes. Those players signing a long-term deal, please just do it. Just do it and maybe you're Scott Kingery. You know what I mean? Scott Kingery, there's a non-zero chance that Scott Kingery retires with more money than Walker Buehler. You know, if you're talking Tommy John and you, the difficulties coming back from that, it's not always guaranteed. So if you were a player and you just don't know, and that even applies to Wander Franco, like it even applies to the super, super duper stars, Evan Longoria, when he signed that deal, I will never begrudge that because that is a risk for the team. Maybe not as much of a risk, but there is a, a big risk that the team is taking saying, we are going to give you all-star money and hope that you're a superstar when you've never played or pitched an inning in the majors. So that I think that's a difference of, of contract. Yeah, Evan White, John Singleton come to mind like... You know, hey, you, you've never played, but uh, here's like here's all your arb money, basically. Yeah. Yeah. For Evan White, at least, yeah. I uh, don't even know if I know who Evan White is. Let me look at this uh, contract. You probably wrote a blog post about how the Mariners were committing wage theft oh, from him in like 2018 course. or something. Maybe wow. that was the one where you were drunk. <laughs> Wait, I'm looking at Grant's face as he remembers Evan White. That was a really fun experience. Wow, yeah. I, not even a single at-bat uh, in the majors this year. And he's hitting 197 in AAA at 26. My gosh, that's... Oh. Hey, but guess what? He gets $25 million. Yeah, good for him. You know what? Seriously, screw the Mariners. <laughs> They've had it too easy lately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always shocked that people don't do it more in a way because, God, it's so easy to fail at this sport. 
good grief. Like people, like it's so damn hard to stick, much less be a star player and get paid that way. Like the, the odds are you're not going to stick, right? Like it's just, I, I don't know, like give it. And, and everyone that plays the game is like intimately familiar with this relationship with failure, right? Like you have to have one to sort of function in the sport. And so, uh, yeah, it, in a way, in that context, I'm always a little surprised that it doesn't happen even a little bit more because um, you're failing all the time. Even when you're good, you're failing all the time. Well, there's often an argument too, like, hey, you know, just go through ARB, like go through the ARB process, you know, you can still make a ton of money in ARB. And like, that's certainly true. But it's like, you know, people are like, look how much money Mookie Betts made in ARB and Manny Machado made in ARB and Bryce Harper made in ARB. Like, look how much money you can make. It's like, you know, those guys are going to the Hall of Fame, right? Like, you know, those guys are like some of the best players who ever lived. Like most humans can't do this. Like, this is guaranteed money. Um, and having self-awareness, like sometimes that can be a financial benefit. By the way, I will say this, we're talking sort of about like uh, team-friendly deals or, or whatever. You can look at like the, the Fernando Tatis contract, right? And it's gone about as poorly as it could to start, right? It's hard to imagine it going worse. You know, the Wander Franco deal, he's been hurt. He's only played in like 50-some games this year, right? Like you're seeing pretty clearly like why there could be you know, why, it, you know, there might be some issues with these sort of contracts, but they're very clearly, my cat agrees with me, they're very clearly a good idea based on the fact that, like, you know, the Mariners are willing to do the pretty much the exact same thing with Julio Rodriguez. Like, they're very clearly a good play for teams moving forward to try and lock up, you know, the, the 20 to 21-year-old, you know, budding superstar for a decade, if you can. They're definitely worth the investment. You could see that. I'm fascinated by that uh, Rodriguez deal, mostly because I don't understand it. Like, I, I understand why. <laughs> I'm talking about right, the actual right. details. It's right. like, it, you know, if the Mariners declined that club option, and it's a full harvest moon, and then, you know, like, it's I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm assuming it's great. I tweeted out, uh, finally, the Mariners have a superstar to call their own, and it got retweeted, and... What was funny about the responses is that it was always, they would always pick two players. It was always, what about Griffey and Randy Johnson? But they'd forget about Alex Rodriguez and Ichiro. Or they'd go, what about Ichiro? But they'd forget about Ken Griffey. No one came to me with the full complement of Mariners superstars. The Mariners are a fascinating organization because they've had some of the greatest baseball talents ever. And it looks like they have another one. Yeah, he's a good player, huh? Oh, man, he is so much fun to watch. It's so exciting to watch, to know that he's not going to be, you're not going to get those dippy like, oh, you know, the Padres are sniffing around Julio Rodriguez. Or <laughs> the, Yan the Yankees are interested and they've got a couple of hot prospects. So I, I love that the Mariners fans get to enjoy that. Sniffing I did. around. <laughs> when, the Padres, okay. when the Padres made that deal with Tatis, I did say to myself, well, at least the Yankees know what their shortstop's going to be making in 2028. Um, you know, because it just, it just smells like uh, not. I, I don't know. We've talked about Padres sustainability so much. What about Mariners? The Mariners don't have the financial commitments, though, right? Like, they did just kind of, you know, burn the ships with the farm to a slight extent. Um, but they don't have the financial commitments that the, the dads do. The dads are like, they're throwing around real money. But yeah, I don't know. I do love the symmetry between San Diego and Seattle as far as 
they have they're the ones that are paired up in the interleague rivalries. Yeah. They both well, have the that Peoria s- connection, right? They share a facility. The Eddie Vedder Cup, where they are just you know fighting for the rights <laughs> to claim Eddie Vedder, and they're just sort of similar. They, they came around baseball late. They have a history of not doing so hot. I love the symmetry there, and now they're they're both trying to be relevant. But I think they're also both great test cases because what do you what would you take? Would you rather have the experience and memory of Tony Gwynn, or would you not have Tony Gwynn, but one fluke World Series in like 1991 and Tony Gwynn never existed? I think you take Tony Gwynn. And I think if you're a Mariners fan, you take Ken Griffey Jr. instead of that certain era. So I, it's a fascinating pair of franchises. Dude, not everybody can win a bunch of titles. And that's all. Like, I'm not saying that's all right, because like for those fans, it sucks. But at least like there's some identity to that, all right? Like there's the, the Mariners have their guys and it, it's funny like I, I didn't even think of it from that perspective they have so many star players in their history you know and and that's pretty cool and I think obviously you take Tony Gwynn over the fluke world series right I mean I don't you like it, it's like I don't know like you 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 talk to people from San Diego and that memory is still fresh of seeing him play and, and what he meant to the city. And, and that's, I think, just really cool, you know? So Yeah, that's because um, they yeah. never won a World Series. <laughs> but I, I mean, and that's not to besmirch, like, the legacy of Tony Gwynn. Like, he's a marvelous player and all those memories are real. But, like, they don't have the other option. All they can say is, I remember watching Tony Gwynn. I think the larger part is that it's been pretty good to be a Padres fan, even with all the misery and despair. And it's been especially good to be a Mariners fan, even if they've had some of the dullest, weirdest years in memory, because there's been a lot to look forward to. Every day you're turning on that game two, three hours, and you can look up and there's Ichiro. Like, holy shit, there's Ichiro. That is fantastic. That is why you follow sports. And one fluke championship would have been cool as hell, and they'd still be talking about it. But Ichiro, Ichiro, man, Ichiro. Oh, it's such an f- interesting question. Do you trade Gwyn for the title? Or, and, and I think you'd say the same with the Mariners, with all those star players. Look, man, my, my cousin loved Ichiro as a player. He took his entire family up there this weekend for that, for that celebration. Those connections are real, man, like, and, and they're cool. And yeah, they would much ra- like, of course, they'd like to have a World Series championship there, but at least they've got something, right? It's not like they don't have a title and you didn't have great players pass. No, at least you had something. And I feel like what you're really after with, with a team is an identity that you can sort of wrap your arms around. All right. Like when I, I've covered the Mets for a long time. Like they, they haven't won a championship since 1986, but I think we can all agree there is an identity to, to wrap your arms around if you're a Mets fan, for better or for worse. Right. So um, the Mariners certainly have that because of those players, and, and, and the Padres have that despite the lack of a title because of Tony Gwynn. All right. I'm going to make a counterpoint, but I'm going to do it in character. Hi there. Um, I uh, live in the district. I've lived here ever since I moved from Haverford College, where I studied political science. <laughs> and, uh, oh, shit. <laughs> yes, I work at a think tank, and I very much enjoy <laughs> the work we're doing. Uh, no, I can't really discuss. What was the question? Oh, I love the 2019 championship. It was delightful seeing all the fellas win. I'd started watching... Midway through the championship series, they were playing the Cardinals. Memories forever. Uh, that was me doing be... a DC guy. I don't know. I'm sure there's, there's sure. Actual yeah, people. no, there's actual people who live in DC. I don't know. 
<laughs> I think that I think that a random championship actually goes further than you guys think. I, I think a random championship really means something because then one, people will just leave you alone. Right, you can just yell online, and you can be like, "Well, my team also won, or whatever." You know, you can't call me a loser. And two, like, I think I don't know. It depends on why you watch sports, whether it's you know to take in aesthetic brilliance or to see, you know, the thing you support triumph. I, you know, not everyone is lucky enough as Grant to you know see it both ways. Here's the thing. Uh, first off, I will just put, to all the angry Nationals fans. I think that the Nationals fan base they have that Vegas Golden Knights thing to where the people who actually did grow up there get to glom on to the Nationals extra hard and say "screw you, keep away." You know, this is at least something for me. But I'll move on to your point, which is I grew up expecting my team would never, ever, ever, ever win a championship. I was so certain of it, and I was proven right throughout most of my good years. Like most of my youth, the Giants would win or would lose in heartbreaking fashion. But I got to watch Bonds, and I would not—it's easy for me to say now— but the experience of watching Bonds year in, year out, every plate appearance was an event. I would not trade that for uh, Candy Maldonado not making a weird sliding attempt or or Felix Rodriguez not giving up the home run to Scott Spezio. I wouldn't trade... Well, that one's close. But like <laughs> Bond, Bonds for me was my baseball experience growing up, and I wouldn't trade that for a fluke championship, I don't think. Boy, I grew up at the Bay Area. I also didn't think your team was ever going to win anything, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can come together like the handshake meme about the Warriors because I never thought they were going to win a freaking thing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love the question. I also love that 2017 winter meetings, Andy McCullough made an appearance. 2015. Here today. Was that 15 yeah. from Haverford yeah. College? I was doing, I was uh, very inebriated doing an impression of all the baseball so executives good. who wouldn't return our, uh, <laughs> wouldn't return our texts. Like, oh, I went to Haverford College. We're at the bar. But whatever. Yeah, There's but nice I, people. But I went, went to, to Haverford not, College. Haverford's just like a – I grew up in Philadelphia, so it's like a very easy one to make fun of. Um, but there's there's nice people. I don't want to besmirch Haverford. Perfectly fine institution. It's just funny to say in that voice. Here's the thing, though. So we grew up on the West Coast, Mark, Mark and, and I. And uh, you grew up on the East Coast. One of the things that's fascinating me with working from people from the East Coast is this – Learn this understanding about how much people care about these schools I've never heard of mm. in the East, <laughs> these mm -hmm. private mm -hmm. schools. Like the Simpsons had this joke where uh, uh, Millhouse's mom says to Millhouse's dad, Oh, well, we all couldn't go to Gudger College, right? <laughs> and I didn't appreciate how perfect a joke that was until I started, like, they really sniff at you, like, Oh, you went to Gudger? <laughs> Haverford. I, what, what is a Haverford College, man? I went to San Jose State and I'm proud to be a Spartan, man. Haverford, what is that? Is that a real school? It's a liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia, yeah. How much? How much? How much per year? I, I, I would assume, like every college, it's like $70,000 a year or something. But what do they do? Like, do they... They produce baseball do do executives. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what if you well, go to Haverford, what do you do? College. Like, why do you go to Haverford? You play D3 baseball. You get a job as, like, an intern with, like, the Guardians or something. And then seven years later, you're, like, running the team. Are your parents disappointed that you went to Haverford? That's a good question. I No, probably not. I don't know. I don't know. Did your parents go to Haverford? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone who went to Haverford. Where did you go? Do I know this? I went to Syracuse. $59,000. Oh, yeah. We could swing that. 
$59,000. But yeah, okay, but that's every college now. Every college is like an insane amount of money. I graduated from San Jose State. San Jose State ain't $59,000. Not with no, that but you know what? I, I graduated from there 12 <laughs> years ago, and I was able to pay my tuition based off of ticket links that I was selling on McCovey Chronicles. Like, they would just pay me to say, like, Barry's tickets. Like, you know, here's where you want your Yankees tickets, your Warriors tickets. And those text-based ads put me through college. Could not do that today. There's no way. I would have to work 60 hours a week, picking up extra time, extra shifts to even pretend to afford a state college. So that's even 10 years ago. I'm just fascinated with Haverford. Haverford <laughs> There's college. a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh. a, there's a lot of schools like that. All the NESCAC schools. Uh, What's that? <laughs> yeah, see, that's a total East Coast thing. That's 100%. Like that, yeah. It's an East Coast thing. And like, people it, have opinions on them. The people who went there, I don't. I look. I went to Syracuse, like so. It was a Big East school when I went there. I think it's in the ACC now. But like, we played Georgetown in basketball. We didn't like UConn, you know. We didn't like West Virginia, like you know. It was it was you know, relatively uh, culturally established. I'd say. That seems like a good splitting the difference between you get a lot of big college experiences as far as cool sports. But when you say Syracuse, I don't immediately judge you. Because I'm not sure how to judge you. Well, you, know what you I mean? haven't like you, been in, you haven't been in journalism that long enough, probably. Uh, uh, <laughs> is, is that a that's one of those journalism schools, right? Like yeah, ASU. One of, yeah, but I, in, sports, in sports, it's so annoying. Yeah. I like to think we're less annoying than like. Um, no, you're you not. Know, then you're I said, "Van, <laughs> shut up, Mark." I said, "Van." I think we're less annoying than the Mizzou people. I think we're not less even an- close. Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Right, we'll you, but go this, on. I think we're less annoying than the Michigan people. I think not true. Go on. What? Okay. All right. Remove passing from the discussion. Okay. I think we're less annoying than Northwestern people. No debate. No debate there. Who else? What is the other like, uh, you know, the sports or like the people who, you know, took on onerous student debt to go like write about high school sports. Like who, who else fits in terms of that cadre of people who were just dumped out into the world in the last 15 years? I think you named them all. I Googled this, and I want to know if you guys know this. Uh, what is the Haverford College mascot? I don't know. What is it? It's the black squirrel. That's pretty dope. <laughs> Look at Brian. Brian says Baggerly went to Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he, he's very proud of it. We, very yeah, proud of that. The thing about Syracuse grads is that we are not proud to have gone to Syracuse. We are openly antagonistic of Syracuse. See, this is See, this that's is, the you difference. Tell, you're telling me that's not annoying. We are go on. we are anti-establishment. We don't support our our sports teams. We root against them because we're hardcore journalists. Let's see. Okay, <laughs> so, so my journalism. <laughs> My journalism career started at Southern Oregon University, which does not have a journalism reputation. And so what that meant was if you dig up my basketball articles, my basketball recaps, I would spend the lead making like references to over the top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie, because no one paid any attention to what I was doing. I might not have had an editor and that gave me the freedom. That was my preparation to go and do what I did, which is uh, nonsense. Look how you evolved. You went from over-the-top references to the aristocrats. If you're ever reading a young writer, right, and they're like 24 years old and they're writing some really like harsh 
story about the team they cover, go back, just search their name and Daily Orange, because I'm sure that person is a Syracuse grad, and you will find multiple columns where they're, like, firing the, like, assistant men's lacrosse coach. They're like, the, the guy in charge of face-offs has to go. Like, we need a higher standard here, okay? They're, like, saying, like... You know, that the star, uh, you know, like uh, linebacker or something needs to be kicked off the team for missing a tackle because it's unacceptable. Like, yeah, it's it's great. Grant, if you had a drink for every single time a Syracuse alum mentioned the Daily Orange, you'd file all of your stories shit faced. What? What is this? I don't I'm so out of touch with all these colleges. When I search for Haverford College mascot, Google says people also search for the Bryn Mawr College Owls. Yes. What's a Bryn? Is, is that one of those fancy, expensive? Schools? Yes. Bryn Mawr in Philadelphia. Yes. Great. Come to Philadelphia, and I will take you on a tour of the main line, and you'll learn all about privilege. It'll be great. I dated a girl who went to Vassar College. Vassar. All right. Yeah. Vassar. You've heard College. of Vassar. It, it sounds exactly. I've heard of Vassar, Vassar but because of the you? Simpsons. Because of Vassar, the Simpsons. Sarah Lawrence. You know, schools like that. The Seven Sisters. Seven baby. Sisters. Yeah. Oh, man. My dad was the first to graduate college of our family. He went to Golden Gate University, which Ooh, is like... Hey, I remember right, them. Right. That's yeah. like the precursor to for-profit university. You know, like that was like the... <laughs> That's right. right. That's the OG. Right. That's the OG. Uh-huh. I, remember, I remember them like Paul from the Diamond Center. Right? <laughs> uh, and then Golden Gate University. Yeah. And then there's Academy of Art College. Like, well, I'd be sick at home from school watching a Cubs game or whatever. And like, these are the commercials that would come up. But Paul from the Diamond Center, number one. And yeah, Golden Gate University is one. And there's like ITT Tech. ITT Tech, them. yep. ITT DeVry Tech. University. DeVry, yep. That, dude, freaking. Did you know the Academy of Art has sports teams? Yeah, I did. I did. I had yeah. no idea, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And they yeah. were good for their division. Connecticut so, School anyway. of Broadcasting. Hey. Contra Costa College. I went to just, yep, that's me. Uh, and then there was also, if you, if you, just one more ad reference, uh, you've got our friend in the diamond business. Like, there was oh always. Oh my gosh, yeah. There was always that. Shane Company. Oh, All it's right. worth <laughs> pointing out that, that college is a, a scam, just a total scam. It's fun, though. It's fun. I love that this has devolved into, like, a Bay Area nostalgia of, like, daytime television coverage. We should actually have, like, Grant ask questions about the East Coast. That would be a segment that I Isn't would it, Wasn't that great? Yeah. yeah. Like, I am so just blown away. Just a total black box. He's like, well, what do you mean Villanova and St. Joe's can coexist? Like, what are you talking about? It's all Greek to me. It's all Greek to me. All right, uh, this has been episode 22 of the Roundtable. We will be back next week, and we'll, I'm just going to keep asking questions about Haverford College and how it's producing all these executives. Go fight in black squirrels, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.